Hey everyone, back with another episode of Millennial Manhood. This week we've got Andy Seth on the show. He is the CEO of Flow. He is also a music producer and he is the author of the new book, Bling, out now. Man, oh man, do we have a fun episode. He is just the ultimate definition of a hustler. Talk about an interesting life story. It takes all kinds of twists and turns and it was just exciting talking to him. We had a great time. Uh, In the description, you can find link to his website. You can also find a link to Amazon to his new book. Highly recommend it. Go check it out. And uh, I hope I hope you enjoy the episode. Andy Seth, welcome to Millennial Manhood. Thanks, Yavitsa. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We uh we well, the folks won't know this, but I guess I'll tell them we had some technical difficulties yesterday, so we're we're back on recording today. So I'm super excited about the conversation for folks listening. I've got Andy Seth with me out of uh, Denver. He's the CEO of a company called Flow, and he's the author of the newly released book Bling. It's a story about ditching the struggle and living in the flow. So I'm uh, I'm looking forward to, to speaking with you. Give the folks a, a ten thousand foot introduction of yourself. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Um, well, I think. Uh, what will be probably like the most relevant is, is uh, I'm a, an entrepreneur. Um, I've had I've built nine companies and had four pretty successful exits, um, but I still like playing the game. So I haven't moved to the route of becoming an investor. Uh, I still own and operate and start from scratch and bootleg um, or bootstrap all of, bootleg, boot, bootstrap all of my businesses. Um, and Flow is one of those. This time with Flow, uh, I really wanted to create a business that had some social impact. And so we're a B Corp and uh, we just were named actually top 10% of all B Corps worldwide for the impact we're making. And um, the business itself is a for-profit. And so what we do is it's a revenue growth agency. Um, we work with million dollar companies and above. Um, but inside I created something pretty unique for our uh, apprentices, for, for our 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 entry-level folks, we created a three-year apprenticeship program where low-income youth who are you know, highly motivated, just didn't go to college, could go through a three-year program, at the end of it, make $40,000 or more, break poverty, and have a career path, and, uh, and don't need to have a college degree. Um, and so that's something really unique uh, that I'm really proud of. So every time somebody hires us, you know, they're not only hiring us to do a good job to generate revenue for them, but they're also helping to contribute to this apprenticeship program. And, um, and Bling is, is a book that really came to me inside of a meditation. You know, I was, um, I was actually teed up to have this completely other book that was going to do like a lot of lead gen for my, for my agency. And I, I got this message inside of a meditation and, and I was like, man, I, this is, I gotta, I gotta share this. Um, and so what's interesting is as of right now, uh, there is no business model at all attached to Bling. Um, it is literally, about getting a message out there that I think is really important that will help people. Um, I produce an album with it as well, which we can certainly talk about. And uh, I think people are, are going to benefit greatly off of it. And like I said, this is this is not a business for me. This is simply because I believe it's important. Okay, a lot to unpack there. Real, really, really fascinating story. So one thing I wanna ask real mm-hmm. quick for folks that don't know, what is a B Corp? A B Corp is a certification. Think of it like an, uh, a third party independently audits our company. And if you score high enough, um, then 
you have demonstrated quantifiably that you do make a social impact. It's one thing to like make a claim. It's another that a third party has independently audited you that you have scored so high that they can actually award you with this certification known as a benefit corporation, meaning you create a benefit outside of profit. And that B Corp stands for benefit corp. And this is a worldwide certification that's highly recognized. It's it's the recognition for uh, companies making a social impact. Patagonia is in the ranks of that. Um, Tom Shoes, Warby Parker, et cetera. Interesting, interesting. So it's kind of like if you're an artist, you can say all day that you've sold half a million records, but you got the RIA in place to actually certify you. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. Okay. Yeah. See, I did that just for you because you said you produced yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> well done. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, let's take a step back. You, so you've built nine companies, sold four of them pretty successfully. So what's really brought you into being a, what I would describe a serial entrepreneur? Um, what, what, what's kind of the mindsets? And is there a moment in your life um, where you said, okay, I'm not going to work for the man. I'm going to go and pave my own way. Well, how did that all come about? Yeah, I, I will. I will tell you, I've never really had that. Like, I'm not working for the man mentality. Um, I, I frankly sometimes think like working for someone else and learning from someone else on uh, and having the the stability of that and the resources of that and the mentorship and guidance is really valuable. And I actually think it's kind of totally underappreciated. Um, I, I, my path was just my path. So I, I don't look at it like everyone should be an entrepreneur. I think everyone can benefit from the mindsets um, and turn it into what I call intrapreneurship, I-N-T-R-A. Intrapreneurship is really thinking like an entrepreneur, but being um, inside of a company, having the steadiness and stability like I talked about. I think you can do a huge amount of good. Uh, grow your career, grow business, but not have really like the ups and downs that come with entrepreneurship. Um, so that said, th- that I just say that because I don't want people to think that I'm out here saying like you need to become an entrepreneur. I actually very honestly think people should study under entrepreneurs. If you can get a job working directly for one and learn from a great entrepreneur, or if you can get a job at a rocket ship and and just hold on like. I think you learn a lot more that will benefit you should you decide to go out on your own eventually. And and if you don't, you'll still benefit greatly, both from a knowledge standpoint and a financial standpoint. So those are my two cents on that. Um, my own path was really that uh, early on, um, you know, I grew up pretty, pretty financially strapped, let's say, you know, we're, we're a, a low income, high love family. Um, and, um, and we lived in a, in a motel from time I was zero till 14. And uh, it was not a motel we owned, despite being Indian. Um, it was just a, it was just a motel. And so uh, growing up there, you know, there were a couple options, you know, a lot of street hustle type stuff. Um, I, I had enough sense, thank goodness, that I didn't want to disappoint my parents and get into anything that would be, um, you know, like banging um, or drugs or anything like that. Banging meaning uh, gang banging, and uh, mm-hmm. and so instead I I just kind of started finding my way to go make money. You know I wanted a pager. I wanted like buy nice stuff, not really nice stuff, but just some stuff. And so you know the street hustle is really where it all started. I I know it's now called entrepreneurship, but like that's not really what it was back then. 
in my mind as a as a 13 year old for a lot of people like it's just hey i'm i'm just trying to make a, a buck and i don't want to do it in like a, a terrible way um and that was really it and and then from there you know i've always had the benefit of of like building on top of it and and i've had some really good fortune um i've had some good uh mentors um not a lot of mentors but i've had a couple good ones and i've had uh uh, I think a pretty good work ethic and, you know, just some good blessings, man. And, uh, combined together, they've, they've crafted this path. Um, it's, it's one that's worked well in many ways by our traditional definitions of success. Um, at the same time, like I'm not, you know, on the cover of Forbes. Um, so it's not like, it's not like I've, I've hit the billions of, of dollars or even like the hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, so, you know, I, I look at this a little bit more humbly. I, I'm not trying to be out there like, hey, I've made all this money and you should listen to me. I feel like making money is kind of like a, a, a measure to some degree of how well you play the business game. Um, but it's really not a measure of how well you play the game of life. And that's really what's important mm-hmm. to me to talk about. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that. When I, and I love that you talked about having the sense to not end up in gangbanging or selling drugs or, or whatever it may be. But so, okay. What were you doing <laughs> as your street hustle or as your entrepreneurship or, or I mean, what, what, what did well, the, you get into well, to, to be able to afford well, that pager? The first thing I did wasn't so legal. So I'm going to tell you the story that wasn't like, let me put it like this. I didn't have a tax ID number. <laughs> um, so, okay. so the first quote unquote business was, uh, it was dumpster diving. There was a factory around um, where we lived in LA. There was, and the factory was a commercial printer, um, and they printed stickers. And um, I noticed that in their dumpster, um, they had a ton, just like piles and piles of reams of sh- of sheets, and there were these stickers. And so I hopped the fence, got into the dumpster, um, grabbed some of those sheets of stickers, and there were rejects on there, but I just cut out the rejects cut the good ones out. And there were like surf and skate brands, you know, I was in LA. So it was like town and country and Varney, stuff like that. What I would do is take those stickers to school. I'd sell them for 25 cents each and five for a buck and saved up enough money to buy a bike. And I know the bike was definitely stolen. It was hot. Um, there was a guy in the hood named Dell. Dell was Dell. Del, I don't know if you remember like it's old school hip hop, but there was a, a guy named Del the Funky Homo Sapien, so we used to just call him that. Um, but Del Del sold me a hot bike, and but I used that bike to then get a paper route, um, and that was like maybe I don't know that's probably my first job. But through the selling of stickers and having a paper route, you know, I'm ten years old by the way, so like I've got some money now. Um, by the time I was thirteen, I had saved up some money. And, um, when a record store opened up in my neighborhood called funky town, uh, it was like this huge light bulb went off in me, man. And, um, I started DJing and and there's a, obviously a long path to that, but from the age of 13 till 22, so a very solid nine years, I was a, a DJ professional DJ. And yeah, that evolved from just being like, you know, the house party guy to headlining in nightclubs in LA, Chicago, Boston, um, in Boston, I was doing six nights a week by the time I was in college there. So, um, you know, that was where I started paying taxes. If, if you ask the government, um, my my social security begins from my uh, from my from my DJ business. <laughs> 
Uh, you have no idea how much I love that comment. <laughs> that, that makes me so happy. Okay, so you you get into DJing. You you are obviously uh, you know that's a that's a time for money exchange. You know, it's not really a business. You're more so self employed than you have a business when you're DJing. Um, so so you degree, you start there. Um, by the time I was doing six nights, um, that was around the time when AOL chat rooms were getting really big, and while my friends were trying to pick up girls in AOL chat rooms. Um, I was picking up girls too, but I was picking them up in like the hundreds and I was bringing them to my nightclubs because I was promoting the clubs too. So I was taking a cut of the door. Um, and you know, you bring, you bring the ladies, the boys follow. So it was real easy. So I started getting, um, that's really where it, it, it evolved from like just trading my time to now I was actually getting cuts of the door. Um, some places I could negotiate cut of the bar even, um, low, but I could still get some cuts of the bar because I could drive um, audiences. And so that was a, a completely different thing. And then I was also doing mixtapes and I would sell mixtapes. And so like there was there were multiple kind of revenue streams, if you will. But the core business was that I would perform as a DJ, but I was monetizing other ways. So that's why it, it's more like a business than it was a contractor. So what did you learn from that? Okay. So what do you learn from realizing like, oh, I can get a cut from the bar. I can get a cut from the door. I can, what was the, cause you're 22 at the well, time. Well, I was, I was 18 when I started it. Um, yeah. Oh, 18. Uh, I mean, there's so much that I learned. Um, I think the most valuable thing that led to even greater uh, success was what's called adjacency moves. And this is something that's pretty underappreciated too in business, but if you follow the path here, you know, I started DJing for these nightclubs. I then started promoting for these nightclubs um, and I was using AOL chat. Well, I then saw how how big chat was, right? Like it was a big thing to be able to go talk to people who were strangers. And so I convinced these nightclub mm -hmm. owners that we should have chat rooms on a website. I had to tell them what a website was. Remember, this is 1996. So here's what a website is. You can have these chat rooms on your own website. And I formed a company that built websites for these nightclubs. And the company was called Funky Web, kind of an homage to my record store, Funky Town Records. Right. And so I went mm. from creating or uh, selling a, a service to multiple services to the same customer. Right. I would sell not mm. just DJing, but promoting the night um, and then websites. And that's an adjacent move. I was just adding services to the same client base. And then eventually uh, that funky funky web I sold and I sold that in 98. I then started another web design or another web company, which is an adjacent move. But this time it was e-commerce. I had built out some e-commerce sites on the side um, while I had funky web. And I learned what that was like. And then I built uh, uh, an e-commerce site and we sold that at the height in 2000. And so what, what I learned through all of this is how important it is to only make one move at a time. You either make a move in selling a new service to the existing customers or the same service to new customers. But if you try to make a two-step move, meaning selling a new service to a new customer, you're, you're taking on like too big of a risk that you don't need to take. It's actually a lot more logical to take to make it two steps. Um, and so that was really an important thing because if you start to follow the trajectory of my career, while the businesses all look very different, they're actually quite adjacent in moves. And so 
that's been a, a theme throughout my career. Hmm. It's interesting. It's it's like the old Rockefeller quote: "I put all my eggs in one basket and watch <laughs> it like a hawk, instead of spreading yeah, it out too thin." Yeah, I think today, you know, it's just so easy to start something, and people have a let's just say they they find focus difficult. You know, they'll say ADD, but it's mm-hmm. not ADD. What it is is the they're very distracted, and and I can understand mm-hmm. the distraction, but I also know that there's there's a method to building businesses that can stack and create real wealth. And when you watch people do it, I've, I've had a wealth management business for 10 years that grew to hundred million in assets before I sold it. Um, so like I've seen really wealthy people and worked with them. And this is one of the things that you see them do really, really well is that they continue to stack chips, but like one move at a time, they don't really, they don't really get too far out of their swim lane at once. Eventually, if you look if you look backwards and you say, "Wow, like how'd you go from here to here?" Yeah, you'd have to understand the moves they made, but um, they're usually one step at a time. They're not multiple steps. Uh, and, and what I mean by multiple steps is a new service or product to a new customer. And when you do that, you've got two variables that you're going after. That introduces a whole lot more risk and puts your core business at at risk. Interesting. So, talk to me about. Let's fast forward and talk to me about Bling. What is the book about? What is Flow, the company, about? Yeah. You know, give me give me a little background um, so, on that. How'd so you come up with the name Bling? Bling literally was a message that came to me inside of a meditation. I, I meditate about an hour and a half a day, and I was in a meditation, and this message kind of came, and I got out of it, and I was like, I told my wife, I was like, yo, I just got this, like, like this message thing, but, like, I can't tell if this is for a speech or what. And I had to deliver a keynote three weeks from that time to – um, an emerging leaders uh, organization. It's for all black um, leaders. And it's my fourth year doing that keynote. And so I, for some reason, I thought like, oh, this message is, is meant for the speech. So I went up to go write it. And then I ended up writing so much that I couldn't even, it wasn't even a speech. It was like, I went and literally read it to the audience. And the reception was just unreal, unlike anything I've experienced. And I was like, oh, this is something. And so I, I then took four more days and wrote the book. So in total, it took me five days to write, write the story. And, and the reality is like, I was just a messenger for it. You know, I, I, I was really well tapped in. I mean, I've, I've got a deep meditative um, state and experience that is effectively like, lets me get into a flow state when I, when I sit and write and it just pours right through. So this book didn't take long to write. It's a, it's a blessing. My, the book that I had on tap, which I haven't published, took me a year. So it's, it's funny that that, I completely put shelved another project that was like in my editor's hands for this book. But Bling is just, um, it's a message about, uh, it's a parable really about a rapper who goes on a spiritual journey. And a lot of the things that I'm teaching or talking about here are laid out very step-by-step, very practical, but through the parable of a, of a rapper um, and, you know, the lens of hip hop, just to make it, uh, approachable and a lot more fun and interesting than kind of being talked at all the time. Um, and so that's what, that's what bling is. And when I was writing it at the end of it, I could start to hear some of the music, you know, I, the rapper kind of goes through this transformation, um, which wouldn't be a surprise to anybody, but like there's a transformation that happens and, and he creates this kind of magnum opus album, if you will. And, but I could hear like the music in my DJ background, you could start to understand like why I, that would happen and I was like, yo, these beats are fresh. Like, I wonder, 
if I could find something like this. And I thought maybe it was for an audiobook if I made an audiobook. And then I was like, no, nah, like I want to lay these tracks. They're like Indian sounds with hip hop. And there's some songs out there. You know, there's Punjabi MC and Jay-Z. Um, there's like Eric Sermon's React. There's a few songs out there, but there's not a lot. And I, But I love that sound. And so I was like, let me go make this. And I write. So why don't I just write some lyrics? And one, two, three, here we go. You know, we made it. We made an album and it's effectively track for track, chapter for chapter. It's just there's seven chapters in the book, seven tracks on the album. Each chapter is named the same thing as each track. And uh, each track is influenced by that chapter. It's not a literal translation, but if you listen to the tracks, you'll you'll get all the message from the book. And it's a lot easier to recall the lessons. Oh, man, you get me so pumped up right now. So something that a lot of people actually probably everybody listening has no idea about. One of my original hustles was producing. Um, really? Yeah, back in the day. I didn't know yeah, which by the way, shout out to Craig Jones, who was my who was my partner in that produ- in that production space. We used to use his dad's studio, so we were I mean, we were like 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, using thousands upon thousands upon dollars of equipment. And he's still in the music game and and working hard to make make his dreams come true. But as you're describing that. I can visualize what you're talking about and I can hear the sounds. As soon as you said those, you know, hip hop and, 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 and Indian sounds, the first thing that came to my mind was Jay-Z's big pimpin. Um, because the production of that beat is is a sample from an Indian song Mm -hmm. and just, just that kind of energy in it. So the other thing I thought about, um, I don't know, have you ever read the monk who sold his Ferrari? Yeah, for sure, Robin Sharma. Yeah, so <laughs> I know I know your story is probably completely different, but this parable of this transformation in this individual—that's actually what I thought about as well. Yeah, no, actually, I read that book a long time ago. It's a classic, man. It's it's awesome. Um, I just think that like today we talk and sound different, and mm-hmm. and it's not it's it's still very good. There's for that matter, there's so many books. The stuff that I've learned. And I'm teaching is ancient wisdom. We're talking about like 5,000 years old from the yoga sutras, like from Pantanjali. I mean, we're talking old, old wisdom here that's been passed down. And my family's from the birthplace of yoga. So like in India, we, we, these are the stories that get passed on to us. These are the traditions and cultures. I'm not really saying something that's that different than what Robin Sharma is saying, than, than what Jay Shetty is saying, than what um, Deepak Chopra. We just got different audiences, man. And, and for me, I wasn't vibing with the whole like monk thing, you know, like I, I get it. Don't get me wrong. I know people vibe off that, but I don't vibe on the monk thing where it's like, you know, like you, it's really all about the inner self, but like, don't worry about this material life. And I'm kind of like, nah, I like playing this game. And I feel like if you get your inner self dialed, you can be, you can go after this, this material world hustle at a completely different level because you're not attached to what happens. And like, man, does it get fun with that? And I just think there's people out there that are like me. You know, I think there's people that come up a little bit more in the hip hop culture and there's not somebody like that out there for us. You know, there's, well, I mean, there are, there are more woke rappers now and there's like Russell Simmons who's out there, but I'm just saying like talking from the ancient wisdom, bringing that East out here to the West, there just wasn't somebody like that out there for me. And I feel blessed that like the message came to me and I think I'm a pretty good messenger for it. Um, but that's really like, that's really what I'm trying to, sh- to teach. And there's going to be people who vibe with me and there's going to be people who are like, you know what? I would rather hear it from so-and-so like, cool, man. That's like, do you, 
But I know there's people that when I talk about this, they're like, man, this makes so much sense. Like, how come I haven't heard this? And it's not that they have that it's never been spoken. It's just that nobody ever said it in a way that resonated with them. So what do you mean? Go back a couple sentences ago. You said you can play the game of this life without being attached to the outcome. And it's, and it's so much fun at that point. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So uh, it's one of the lessons I teach in Bling. It's, it's what I call five fingers of life. It's a play on uh, Sway's Five Fingers of Death, if you're a uh-huh. fan of Sway. Um, and in the five fingers, it's basically like, how are you? How do you handle situations that come at you? And when they come at you, you can, you know, you can get agitated, right? You can, you can get like anxiety or like it can trouble you. So how do you? What are the steps? What are the practical steps? And I just broke them down into five steps. And one of the steps, the fourth one, is play the game. You know, so if, if you go through these steps and you get to the point where like, okay, you can now play the game. What playing the game means is like you're a player in life. If you looked at yourself like a player, like you run plays, you know, if, you, if I'm just going to use a football analogy. Um, when somebody runs a route and they, they drop a catch, like they got to run back, line back up and pretty much forget that what happened had happened and like start anew. They don't have to have like this attachment to like, man, I can't believe I didn't catch it. Like, oh my gosh, that was a big play. Like if they do that, they keep beating themselves up. So they're not going to be able to perform on the next play. Yeah, you know that. But we do that. We do that in life. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I know that when you look at yourself as playing the game of life and you don't take it with such seriousness, like this thing doesn't have to happen this way or this doesn't have to happen. Look, man, like this podcast could explode – or one person could listen to it. But the point is that you and I give it everything we can and we lay everything out on the table for whoever listens, right? That's mm-hmm. what we can do. We got all the work that we can do afterwards to make sure that people hear this message, but like it's going to do what it's going to do, right? And and when you start to really accept that, you don't have to have this attachment to the outcome anymore. When you can surrender the outcome, you don't have to feel like I got to get this. I got to make this money. I got to win. I got to when you can actually let go of that, man, this this life becomes way more fun because everything is just a game. Then. Yeah, and you're making me think of a conversation that I had actually quite a few times, but really recently, you know, I was I was talking to somebody and I said, hey, think about it like this. Out of every single person that has ever lived and out of every single person that will ever live right now at this very moment on no- in November of 2019, it is our turn to exist on this planet. How mm-hmm. special is that? Yeah, for sure. Right? How And how unique is that? It'll never be again this exact scenario ever again. Yeah, right. And the fact that we got to be born human, I mean, man, I don't know the odds, but it's low. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, being a caterpillar, not so hot. Yeah. So like, hey, we got this really cool thing. And look. I, I come from a background where you know there was struggle. So I'm not trying to like completely forget about the fact that people struggle. I, I just think that there's two ways to deal with struggle. There's the inner struggle, which is what I'm trying to help people with through bling. And then there's the external struggle. There's injustices. There's There are inequities. And that's what I'm working on through my business. That's what I described, what, you know, the apprenticeships and flow. I, I uh, also chair a nonprofit called Minds Matter that helps low-income kids go to college on scholarships. In 14 years that I've led the organization, we've had 100% of our graduates go to college on scholarship, um, and they're all low-income kids. Like 
there's there's true like inequities that need to be solved for, but that doesn't mean that you have to always suffer as a result. And and so that's what I want people to be able to see is there are very practical things you could do for yourself to get you that peace, that joy. At the same time, you could be a fighter, you could be a hustler, you could be ambitious and aggressive. You just don't have to suffer for it. Okay, talk to me about these apprenticeships that you have for these lower income youth. I mean, give me give me some examples. What are you guys specifically doing to impact these kids' lives? And most importantly, one, teach them something that's tangible, but also help them think bigger than their surroundings. So the apprenticeships are specifically within my company at Flow. And those are to provide careers for low income youth in digital marketing without needing a college degree. That's it. Real simple. And what I found was European countries do a really good job of creating apprenticeships. In America, we have like really blue collar apprenticeships, you know, your HVAC, electrical, stuff like that. But when you start to look for the white collar jobs, boy, they were really sparse, really sparse. And if you start to look at like what's in most demand um, in the economy that's unfilled, coding is number one. That's by far the number one job in our economy that's most unfilled. Um, but there are a couple others, you know, there's sales positions, et cetera. But digital marketing was actually number four in Colorado, at least. And so when you start looking at where there's a huge amount of demand, not enough labor, and you ask yourself, well, do these folks actually need degrees? I don't know about you, but I don't I don't haven't asked a single person I've ever digital marketed with what their degree was. Not a single. I'm just looking for can they do this well? Right. And so I saw that and was like, all right, why don't we teach these kids how to do digital marketing, but they need to have a full-time job because they can't just, you know, they're coming from a low-income background here. They can't just be like, oh, I'll give up three years of my life. And they, they didn't go to school to begin with, which is basically what that is. So we, we sold a service or we sell a service. And the service that we started with was live chat at Flow. So Flow, you know, we would sell a live chat um, agent to a company. We'd convert their website traffic into leads. Our agent would be one of these apprentices and they would learn how to they're already good in English and, and fast typists. We hire for that. But then we train them on marketing and sales so that they learn how to convert that traffic into leads. And through that, then they have, they have a curriculum that they go through. It's an online curriculum. And then they have to demonstrate that they can actually, um, that they've acquired the skill through on-the-job training and application. And once they've demonstrated that they have the skill, then they are put to work doing it for our business. Instead of me hiring some higher cost resource, or shipping it overseas to a very low cost resource, I insource it to one of my apprentices. And what that means is that we do it for less than uh, the cost of hiring somebody that's got a college degree. Um, and in return, I can pay them a little more. And so they start inching their way up the pay scale to the point where by the time they're at three years, you know, they've, they've got 40 grand or more, and now they've got a career, real skills that people actually will pay for, um, it's the missing link in education, if you will. Well, and, and the thing everybody complains about is every entry level position requires 10 years worth of experience. That's kind of, <laughs> right. that's kind of like the meme in society, you know, Yeah, um, totally. which, you know, somebody comes out of college, they've got no experience. They've got a degree here. You're actually giving people experience. So when they want to transition to the next level with maybe another company, they've already got a track record. That's right. That's right. I mean, the, the whole thing, whenever we say like uh, when we hire, we have that one bullet point that's like two years minimum experience required. 
what that basically is saying is like, look, man, I don't want to do all that work. <laughs> like just know to show up on time, how to use basic programs like Google Docs and Slack and like know how to manage a project and a calendar. Like I don't want to go through all that. Yeah. And so that's why they throw that one bullet point up. Well, here's the thing. It's super teachable. And will we can find people uh, that we can train to do that very quickly. And so we actually make a huge amount of profit on our apprentices. That's that's the business case of this. Most people don't tap into this lower pool cost pool of resources and they go and hire college degrees and they overpay for skills that somebody without a degree could have done. And so the 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 and I'm very open about this because it's the only reason why people will actually try it themselves. Apprentices are very profitable. I pay them just uh, depends on the state, but above minimum wage, but they're making generally 11 or $12 an hour when they start, they'll make the $20 an hour, which, which, which is what gets you to 40 grand a year. They'll make 20 over the course of the three years, but they're starting off at 11, 12 bucks an hour. Well, what are their, what's their opportunity at $11 an hour? Like they're, they're working, you know, menial jobs, no offense, but like they're not going anywhere with those jobs. Well, here they're making that money, but we're teaching them how to do stuff that, Otherwise, we would pay somebody else 15 bucks an hour for 20 an hour for. So I make that spread. Hmm. So you're basically paying them tuition. Yeah, right. They're making me money. I'm using some of that money to invest in their training to continue to build their skills. And usually I'm upside down on them for about the first six to eight months. After about eight months, I start to break even. And usually at about 18 months, we're, we're 3x on our return. So you've just created an efficient system as an entrepreneur, totally. as a business owner, totally to make it a win-win. Yeah, and and we're creating it's a win-win-win, right? Because for the business, it's higher profit margin. For the apprentice, they have a career path and someone who's willing to actually invest in their skill development. And for a client, they have a lower average cost. We can deliver services to them at a lower cost because we don't have to charge uh, to cover the cost structure of what other competitors do at a, at a higher level because they've got, they've, they're overpaying for people, frankly. Not to say we don't have our own highly skilled, you know, managers and leadership team. We do. I'm just talking about the entry level um, agents, but, but they, we grow them so quickly that they become very big contributors into the company. Well, and I would add one more thing to that that you didn't mention is I'm assuming if they're lower income, that means they're what you would consider quote unquote at risk youth. Um, if you're giving them something, a track to run on, they're significantly likely to get into all the things that you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast you can get into if you're coming from a lower income neighborhood. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And you know, th- this doesn't come without like needing support services. I remember our, our very first apprentice, um, unfortunately, um, she was, she was 19 years old and came in one Monday, um, and schizophrenia had completely set in. Um, she didn't know mm. she had it. She didn't, she didn't actually even have it until it, it, it happened. Um, she, it was a pretty bad state. Um, she became suicidal and, and, um, I had to bring in a number of nonprofit partners to provide not just counseling for her, but also, you know, she had to go to the, ho- the, doc- the hospital, obviously get, get, um, you know, real treatment, but it also like it, it we had to get services on our team. Um, and so there's mental health that you really do deal with because um, there are folks in that low income demographic who have not really had the benefit of getting, you know, treated. 
And so it's not to say it doesn't come without certain risks. Um, but you know what? Mental health is an issue that any demographic faces. It's just that at a lower income level, they likely haven't been able to have the resources to deal with it themselves. And so that's something that I'm very cognizant of. My, my team now, like we, we do a lot to make sure that they um, that they're in good mental health space, including um, like literally the lessons I teach in Bling, like my team from 8 a.m. to 8.30 a.m. is paid to do mindfulness and then mm. in their shift because it's so impactful on their well-being. And so I've just, I just pay for it because the return is I've got stability and a happier employee who's more productive. It's a, it's a, it's still a return, but honestly, like it's, it's a good thing to do to help them out too. Well, and and I want to touch base on that. So obviously side note, go buy the book description or the link is in the description. Go buy blank by, by, uh, by Andy Seth, but talk to me about what is the key to mindfulness? The key. Mm -hmm. I think uh, this is a this is a big question with a very few words. I think the key might be that you have to do something that sticks. Um, there's a lot of talk around like meditation and mindfulness. Um, they're very different to me, by the way. Um, meditation is a specific thing you do. Mindfulness is how you are aware when your eyes are open. Meditation is when your eyes are closed. Um, meditation is practice for being mindful in the waking life. So like, just to make sure we're, we're using the terms correctly, um, or at least we're, we're identifying what I mean by these terms, but none of this stuff is matters if you don't do it, (laughs) you know, like it's Mm -hmm. just like working out, man. Right. Like, you know, you, you, you know what needs to be done if you've ever gone and worked out, if you've ever lifted or if you've ever trained, like, you know, what exercise you need to do. It's just a matter of like, do you go and do it? Or do you actually eat the food the way you're supposed to eat food? Like there's a difference between what you will do and what you should do. And I think this is no different. This is a question of like, will you do something that sticks? Meditation is probably the single best key to like getting one going. But you know how many people I know, myself included? I mean, I struggled for years on this. That started and stopped meditation over and over again. I mean, dude, it took me years to finally figure out a way that to make it stick. And once it did, yeah, it, it really took hold. But it's meditation to me is like the word sport. If somebody's like, oh, I meditate, that's the equivalent of saying I play sports. <laughs> the question then is like, all right, which sport do you play? So which meditation do you do? And then it's even further. If you play a sport, let's say you play soccer, what position do you play? What team do you play for? Right? Like, there's so much more, but when you say like I meditate, recognize that's a massive umbrella term. There's so many different ways that people meditate. So it then just becomes like, which sport is the right one for you? Which one are you going to be best at? It's just not as obvious as it is in sports. So the only thing you can do is like try different ones on. My feeling is no matter which ones you try on, it's going to be really hard to get any of them to stick if you don't have certain fundamental pieces in place. Without those fundamentals, like you might get lucky and have it stick, but for the most part, myself included, like most of us will just be like, yeah, I just really couldn't do it. And, and we give it up. Interesting. Well, I'm, I'm really excited about reading that part now, um, yeah. of the book. So let me ask you, this is actually just my personal curiosity. You've done so many different things, but I'm assuming this is your first book, right? 
Yeah. Okay. Well, it's the second book I've written. The first one I published. <laughs> okay. All right. Second book you've written and the first one you published. Anything surprise you on the on the promotional tour? Like promoting a book versus promoting, you know, clubs when you were 18. Um, anything that's been a pleasant surprise, a, a bad surprise? What, what's what's your experience been? Um, man, you know what's funny is how much I've paralleled my promotions of nightclubs to the promotion of this book. Um, it's crazy how how scrappy you can still be. What what's interesting to me is like I run a growth agency, right? Like our our my entire company drives revenue for other companies. So we're pretty darn good at this. So I'm my a client to my own company. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's all these things one can do. But you know where I just came from before this? A radio station. I was on um the the biggest radio, the biggest sports radio talk show in Denver just before this podcast. Why? Because a lot of the lessons that I teach in here are applicable to athletes and people who like to follow sports and like to understand the psychology of an athlete or the psychology of sports. And I just came off that. And that is like radio grind, bro. You know how many people still don't, don't listen to radio this morning. My son, I told my son, he's four. I was like, oh, I'm going to be on the radio. And he's literally this. What's rate? What's the radio? <laughs> yeah, but he knows Spotify. He does. Right. So, but like that old school grind is still there, man. And that's really cool because you can take all the new school stuff and do it, but there's actually a really disproportionate out, uh, benefit for going old school because like they're not getting hit up that much anymore, mm. right? The, the, new, the new radio host is you, bro. You're a podcast host. You're the new radio host. Everybody wants to be on your show, but so few people want to be on the radio show. And what I found when I when I reached out to them and I, you know, kind of just like, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. Dude, it was like a no brainer. But they got an audience of what, 80,000 people, mm-hmm. you know, so like, hey, they got audience like it's just old school. So for me, I've taken some of the old school stuff and applied it into this book promotion. Um, you remember like nightclubs, we used to flyer like crazy, right? Mm-hmm. That was like a way. But what did I do? I did chat rooms. Right. And so for me, that's like I got game in writing. And so I run a chat agency for crying out loud. Like I'm good at writing and writing to people and being fast and like capturing their attention. So like I use my social media platforms really actively. And and it's not just like post wait for comments like I am all up in the DMs. I am all up in Messenger, like comments, everything. I am fast on that stuff because that's where people are actually talking but a lot of people are just like, like they couldn't be bothered with it. And so those to me are like, those are my old school. That's my chat roots. That's my chat room roots. I look at them like, Hey, somebody wants to talk. Like I'll get them, you know, and, and I'll get them meaning like I'll talk to them. And then like, they can, if they want to buy my book or whatever, go for it. But like, I'm still going to talk to you. And that's just like not done as much anymore. Andy, you got me all kinds of pumped up to go conquer the world right now. <laughs> I'm so excited at the moment. Like I want to, I mean, it's uh it's 5, 18 PM central time over here. So it's not like I can do much, but I, I want to like go pick up the phone and make some cold calls right now. Gosh. Get after it, man. <laughs> well, we're, we're coming up on time and I got to say, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, but you know, we, we do have to bring it to an end and, and I always end the podcast the same way. So you know, my last question to you is if we go back to 18 year old Andy, 
all right, wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, you know, hustling on AIM, trying to get girls' numbers and trying to get girls to come to clubs and trying to get uh-huh. get part of that cover. If you could go back to yourself, one thing, okay, knowing all that you know and knowing all that you know about yourself, what is one piece of advice you would give yourself at 18? Dude, hands down, not even a question on this one. I would have learned to meditate. Mm. Not even a question. Like game-changing levels, bro. Like the fact that I don't have that, I didn't have this at 18 kills me. It kills me. I love that. I've got little kids who can already meditate. My, my daughter is six, my son is four and they can Bro, the single greatest gift I've given them is that if I had 18 year old me meditating, Oh my gosh, man, there would have been so much less suffering, Mm. so much less suffering. And like, that's just how you experience life, man. But I'm 41 now. So like between 18 and 41, yeah, there's been some highs. Don't get me wrong. But like, man, there have been some suffering. I didn't need to have that. Hmm. It turns out I could have had the same situations happen, but I need to feel that way about it. If I would have known that that was possible, I'd have given myself that. And that the gateway to it all is meditation. Like you, if you can figure out meditation, it's not like that's the answer that cures everything. What it is is an amazing gateway into this whole other inner life in this inner journey. And like, once you start to see that there's all this other stuff accessible on the other side, you realize like, yo, I got to go explore that. But the start would have to be that. It's like, I'm a, I'm a master scuba diver. The minute I snorkeled, I was like, wait, what? (laughs) This is under here? Like, yo, I need to learn how to do this scuba thing. Now I'm a master diver. Like, but I learned, and I learned to scuba when I was 18. If I would have learned scuba and meditation, shoot. <laughs> I'd have known that there were two worlds I could have dove into instead I had the one underwater. But that's what I would have done. No question. I love it. I love it. Well, for everybody listening, you know, give your sales pitch. Give my sales pitch? Yeah. Go buy the book. What website can they go to, okay. et cetera? Hey, so the book is available on Amazon. It's called Bling. Uh, my name is Andy Seth. Um, if you want to listen to my album, which is the soundtrack to this book, it's fire, by the way. Um, my music videos are on YouTube, it's on Spotify, Apple Music, etc. But it's under my DJ name, under my my artist name, A Love, A L U V, A L U V. So that's where you can find me all over. Um, you know, like I said, all anywhere music is streamed. Let's put it like that. Uh, and you can go to andyseth.com if you want to learn more about me. I would love, actually, if anybody's vibing off this, I'd love for you to connect me with me, like on social media. Um, I know you probably don't want emails, but I write some gangster emails. Like I'm good at this. So like, so if you want like a good email, give me a shot at it, subscribe. If you don't like it, cool. Jump off. Don't, I don't mind at all, but like, just hear me on this one. My, my emails are dope. So I think you'll like it and it'll be worth your time once a week, every Tuesday. So andyseth.com is where you go to do that. Appreciate you. I love it. I love it. Well, all right, everybody check it out. Um, as always, you know, millennialmanhood.net. Check out the website where all the podcasts are or anywhere where you listen, uh, as if Apple Music isn't the most dominant one, but we've got them on like 18 other ones. Um, if you got complaints, aka constructive criticism, don't just complain. You got to offer a solution, millennialmanhoodcip at gmail.com. Or if you got compliments, or if you're somebody who would like to be on the show or you know somebody that would like to be on the show, shoot us an email, we'll connect. Um, outside of that, Andy, thank you for coming on and we'll talk to you guys soon. <laughs>